0: Welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor Dana takes a look at the parable of the wedding feast and how pride can hinder us from a relationship with God. Let's listen. In 1984, Tina Turner released a hit song titled, What's Love Got to Do With It? This is a picture of Tina Turner in that album. And you may be familiar with that hit from the 80s. But well before Tina Turner took these lyrics and made it a hit, it passed through several hands. It first went to Cliff Richard, who was a British pop star, and he took one look at these lyrics and he said, there's no way I'm performing this song. It then went to Phyllis Heyman and she looked at the lyrics and wanted to perform it, but her label wouldn't let her do so. It then went to Donna Summer and it sat with her for three years and she never performed it. It then went to a British pop star band. They performed it, it was a complete flop, the band disbanded. Tina Turner gets, uh, gets these lyrics and she puts a unique spin on it and it goes number one. It was the number one hit in the top 100 for three consecutive weeks in 1984. Eventually, this song was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. This song earned Tina Turner her third Grammy Award. In 1993, the title of this song was the title of her biographical film that detailed her life. And you may be familiar from watching that movie or from just knowing a little bit about her story. The movie portrays Tina falling in love with her husband, Ike Turner, and enduring years of physical and mental abuse as they continue to rise in fame. You see frame after frame of Tina Turner trying to please her husband and balance this successful music career. When you look at the lifestyle that they were living, the abuse, the control, the manipulation, it becomes clear that there was confusion about how to be in a loving marriage. It's clear that there was a misunderstanding about the true meaning of love, how we're to treat one another in a loving way. In fact, it depicts a relationship that is void of love. And that's where the title and the refrain of this song comes in, What's Love Got to Do With It? It becomes pretty appropriate and fitting for her relationship. It's a pretty sad song. It's a pretty sad story about two people who are missing out on one of life's greatest things, love. A shared love. A self-sacrificing love. A type of love where humility is present. Where you aren't elevating yourself, but rather you're elevating your partner. You're lifting up the other person in that relationship because you truly want to see them happy, because you truly want to see them living their best life. This song and movie, it reminds us of just how far off base people can get when they have a relationship that is void of love, just how far off base we can get when our relationships become self-serving, instead of self-sacrificing. Tina Turner's hit song, What's Love Got to Do With It? And really her whole story, it reminds us that love has to be present in all of our relationships, not just our romantic relationships. So keeping Tina Turner's story and her hit song in mind, let us turn to our parable this morning, let us explore what Tina Turner has in common with the Bible. Where does Tina Turner's song and scripture intersect? The parable that we'll be looking at today is the parable of the wedding feast. And in this parable, Jesus shows up at the house of a Pharisee and he starts to see how the people have arranged themselves around the table. He notices how the guests have chosen the higher places of honor. They've left the lesser seats for those who will continue to trickle in. And when he sees this, as he looks around and notices how people have chosen their seats, he decides to break out this parable, to offer them a story as a means to teach them, to school them on how they are to act and interact appropriately with other people. Luke, chapter 14, verse 1 and verses 7 through 10. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. In this parable, Jesus is telling the wedding guests to choose the lesser seat when picking a place at the table, to leave the higher seats, the higher places of honor for those who will continue to come in. And in verse 11, he explains that a little bit further. He says, For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So essentially, this is a parable about pride and humility. It illustrates how there are things that we do, as simple as they may seem, that can cause us to elevate ourselves instead of elevating others. How something as simple as choosing a seat around a dinner table can be a form of pride. As the parable continues... Jesus details other ways in which pride has manifested itself at this dinner banquet. How we're even down to who was invited could be viewed as a form of pride and arrogance. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives. Or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. This parable highlights how pride can easily slip into our everyday lives, how it can affect the choices that we make. How oftentimes we don't even realize that pride is dictating the decisions that we are making. For instance, we would never think twice about inviting our friends or our family members over for a meal. That would actually seem and feel normal to us. That would make sense. What wouldn't seem normal is to host a dinner and to invite people that are not part of our friend circle or our inner circle over for that meal. But what Jesus is saying in this parable is that you aren't to just invite your friends and your family members, but rather look beyond that inner circle. Look beyond the normal guest list and invite those who might never get invited somewhere. Invite those who need a helping hand. Invite the blind, the crippled, the lame, the poor invite those who are probably oftentimes overlooked and forgotten. Essentially, Jesus was saying extend love, hospitality, generosity to all people, not just your inner circle. In this parable, Jesus was trying to point out that when we don't do that, when we don't love all people the same, when we don't treat all people the same, that that can be a form of pride, where pride is shaping our actions and how we are interacting with others. Or to paraphrase Jesus' words, we are exalting ourselves instead of exalting others. I think what Jesus was getting at in this parable was that pride can take on many forms. Sometimes we don't even realize when pride is becoming a factor sometimes pride and arrogance slips in and we have no clue that it's shaping our choices that it's dictating what we're doing who we're interacting with psychology today they put out an article several years back that spoke about this and it talked about how pride can manifest in our lives easily it can sneak into our relationships It was the 15 faces of pride, and it listed the 15 forms that pride can take on in our lives. Here's a list of those forms. The first one is assuming that you already know something when someone is teaching. So this is when we immediately tune someone out when they start teaching or preaching a sermon about a topic that we might be familiar with. This is when we assume that we already know everything that there is possibly to know about a particular topic. The second form is seeing yourself as too good to perform certain tasks. So this is when we start to think to ourselves, well, someone asked me to do this, but that's not really something that I think I should be doing. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example of this. When I was a little girl, my parents, they would ask me to go and wash the dishes. And I would put my hands up like this, and I would show them both sides to make sure they saw them really well. And I would say, these hands were not made to wash dishes. Now, that was a cheeky way to get out of my chores for that evening. But it's the same things, thinking that you're too good to perform a certain task. Number three, being too proud to ask for help. Now, there's something to be said for independence. However, there are times where we just have to admit that we don't know it all, that we need help from other people. And I think that there's an old adage about this, where men have a hard time asking for directions. Um, That's definitely a form of this type of pride. Number four, feeling the need to consistently teach people things. So this is when we're in that social environment where someone's just kind of dominating the conversation sometimes we label them the story topper but they just constantly feel the need to teach other people the entire time nobody else really has an opportunity to interject a thought number five talking about yourself a lot talking about accomplishments education financial status this is a sign of pride James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Number six, thinking you are better than others who are different or less fortunate. And this one might be a little bit more subtle, because a person can appear to be humble and caring, however, in their minds that pride has snuck in and they're judging the other people that they might be serving, or they think that they are better than other people who have different backgrounds. Number seven, when you disregard the advice of others, this has its roots in thinking that we have all the answers in life, that we somehow don't need or see the value of another person's perspective. Socrates once said, the more I know, the more I realize I know nothing. Number eight, when you are consistently critical. This is when we tend to put others down oftentimes because there's a deep-seated need to feel better than other people. People who are critical oftentimes are that way because they are secretly seeing themselves as lacking the very thing that they're criticizing in other people. Number nine, a consistent need for attention and affirmation when someone constantly needs to be the center of attention in public or secretly craves that affirmation from other people about their looks, their accomplishments, their intelligence. Number 10, unable to receive criticism when a person struggles to allow other people to speak about their life, to provide helpful feedback. It's a sign of pride because they're too blinded by their pride to hear what someone else is saying. Number 11, overly obsessed with their physical appearance. Certainly we should shower every day, we should eat healthy, we should exercise. There should be a certain level of concern for how we're living and what we look like. But this is when we cross over that line and become obsessed with how we look or wanting to receive that affirmation for that. Number 12, unwilling to submit to authority. When a person is unwilling to submit to authority at work, or at home, or in a relationship, it is because deep within they believe that they could be making better decisions than what they're being offered. Number 13, ignoring people's attempts to communicate with you so ghosting not returning emails text messages phone calls when people are trying to reach you this is sending a message to that person that they aren't worth your time that they aren't valuable enough for you to return their call or text number 14 justifying our actions instead of admitting it so this is when someone graciously points out an issue that they may be having with you And yet we get defensive and start to justify those behaviors instead of just admitting it and being open to what this person is saying and the last one is name dropping consistently associating yourself with people who have prominent positions publicly dropping those names in conversation that's a form of pride There are all sorts of forms and faces of pride. I was surprised by many of these faces that were listed here on this list. But what I think that this article does, and why I share it with you this morning, is because it highlights how pride can stealthily sneak into our lives, begin to shape how we are interacting with other people, who we're interacting with, And over time, those behaviors can become quite damaging to those relationships. They can have damaging consequences on people. Throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, there's 61 passages of Scripture that talk about pride. They range in their description where pride is described as having a general arrogant attitude towards others. In other passages, it refers to instances where inconsiderate actions and behaviors creep into everyday life. And before we know it, pride has begun to shape and dictate the choices we are making. How oftentimes that leads to slowly eroding our relationships. D.L. Moody, he was an early church father He was active during the holiness movement in the 1800s he once spoke about this topic and more specifically he talked about the need of emptying ourselves of emptying ourselves of our pride and our arrogance of emptying ourselves of our vain pursuits and our selfish ambition he said i firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to god's law the holy spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts but if we are full of pride and conceit ambition and self-seeking pleasure in the world there is no room for the spirit of god i also believe that many a man is praying to god to fill him when he is full already with something else Before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray that he would empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. And when the heart is turned upside down, and everything that is contrary to God is turned out, then the Spirit of God will come. As D.L. Moody pointed out, it is essential for us to empty ourselves first because God cannot fill that which is already full. It is only when we empty ourselves of our pride, our self-serving attitudes, and truly humble ourselves that God can then fill us, fill us with his spirit, fill us with his love, and that is when it starts to shape our actions and our interactions with other people. And this is where Tina Turner and the Bible come in into connection. This is where scripture intersects with Tina Turner's hit song What's Love Got to Do With It. Well, love has a lot to do with it. Because we cannot love others if we are too busy loving ourselves. We cannot love others if we are too full of ourselves. Or, in other words, the Spirit of God cannot work within us or through us if we have blocked it out with our own pride and arrogance. We have to be willing to empty ourselves. Emptying ourselves of pride and arrogance so we can be filled with the Spirit of God. It's only then that we are able to demonstrate love, generosity, hospitality to all people which means we have to be willing to take a close look inside. We have to take a close look at ourselves and how we live and interact with other people, taking a look at the things we say, how we say them, the messages that we're putting out there. We have to take a look at this article about the 15 faces of pride and then ask ourselves some pretty honest questions. Am I behaving? in a self-serving way? Am I exalting myself instead of exalting other people? Am I behaving in a way that matches up with one of those 15 faces of pride? We have to be willing to do the work so that we keep a pulse on our pride and our arrogance. We can go through our whole life putting ourselves first where our ego our pride, our arrogance, it takes the front seat. And as a result, we can watch our relationships suffer and slowly erode over time where we can choose a different path in life, where we take a look at who we are, how we are behaving. We choose to empty ourselves of all the ways in which we are subtly putting ourselves before other people. We can choose to empty ourselves of our prideful thoughts and behaviors so that we can then be filled with God's Spirit. For it's only after we have emptied ourselves of self-love that we can then be filled with God's love. And that is what love's got to do with it. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.